Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stocks for beginners. Weekend watch list. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we'll be taking a close look at an individual company, sector, or ETF that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how experts screen for value and opportunities. Joining me today is Max Chatsko from Seven Investing. Hello, Max. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Max Chatsko is an advisor at Seven Investing, and today we're looking at biotechnology and specifically synthetic biology. Max, you were previously the editor-in-chief of SynBioBeta. You've created your own do-it-yourself biolab. You have a degree in bioprocess engineering and also a master's of science and engineering. So this is a topic that's close to your heart, isn't it, Max? Yeah, you've exposed me, Phil, as a true nerd. Uh, I guess that's that's what that says, right? <laughs> no, that's great. We love nerdism on this podcast. <laughs> that's led into so many exciting areas. Fascinating stuff here with synthetic biology, right? Yeah, it is. Tell us a bit more about um, synthetic biotechnology. What is it? Yeah, so synthetic biology is a kind of a buzzy, trendy word, right? You might hear more and more about it. A lot of people are excited about it. And really at a core level, it's about applying engineering principles to biology. So this might seem kind of surprising, right? Because we have other terms like, well, we can have genetic engineering or bioengineering. We've been doing this stuff for decades. So what makes synthetic biology different And again, it's just about applying engineering, true engineering principles. So we're trying to standardize biologic parts, whether that's like a gene or some part of a cell, so that we can engineer it and get the same results every time. So if I have a DIY biolab here in Pittsburgh and I come up with a protocol for, let's say I'm engineering a a yeast to make some useful chemical, I can do that in my lab. I should be able to hand my protocol to you, Phil, and get the same exact result. And it sounds like that's something that's pretty easy to do, but it's not. In 2016, a Nature Review article found that 60% of biologists couldn't reproduce their own results from their own lab. You know, we often do science, we get some experiment, write up a paper, and then you can't get the same result if you do the same exact thing again. We found that 70% of biologists couldn't reproduce the results from peer-reviewed papers. So it's kind of like the gold standard in science, right? You get a peer-reviewed paper, you publish it, it's in a major journal, 70% of those results could not be reproduced. So reproducibility is a big challenge still in biology, and synthetic biology is a way of uh, addressing that shortcoming. Uh, So think of it more like Legos, right? We try to get the same exact parts for everybody, every time, and you get the same results. A little bit off topic here, but why is it called synthetic biotechnology? And uh, how does it differ from traditional biotechnology? Uh, Well, there are uh, a lot of discussions not so long ago about what do we call this? Should we call it synthetic biology? Because that is kind of a negative connotation. In the very early days of the field, they wanted to call it intentional biology. But a lot of academics got uh, pretty upset because that implied that what they were doing up to that point was unintentional biology. So they said, all right, we'll stick with synthetic biology. Um, And we're kind of past that point where that term, you know, has a negative connotation. But I think everyone just kind of accepts it at this point. How does it differ from biotechnology, what we usually do. So if you think about 
biotechnology, there's a couple of uh, core enabling tools that we've had, right? So things like PCR, which we hear a lot about during the pandemic, it's a way to amplify genes so we can see a signal in a sample, right? So like, do you have, uh, you know, the coronavirus, for example, you know, one of the core enabling tools for biotech is also clonal genes, right? So a way to replicate genes. This is how we got things like insulin, for example, decades ago. And then things like DNA sequencing. So it's reading a genome, uh, another one of the core enabling tools of biotech. Synthetic biology also has some enabling tools. They're a little bit different, a little more abstract too. So we have things like DNA synthesis. So instead of reading a genome, that's writing genes. So you have some companies there. And again, that's really core to the standardization of parts. We want to have highly accurate DNA sequences. So I can go plop that in to a plant or a microbe I'm trying to engineer, or maybe even a person one day, right? We hear things like CRISPR gene editing. So DNA synthesis, very important for enabling synthetic biology. Uh, then you have things like abstraction layers. So it's like more of a user interface. We see this all the time with phones and apps, right? Say you're going to order food or something, right? You can see the menu, you can select options and go back. And under the hood, there's a lot of software there that's, you know, if you saw the software code, you wouldn't be able to read it or understand it. But that user interface is a abstraction layer. And that's actually really important for synthetic biology too. We should be able to design genes or microbes or whatever it is when you're sitting at Starbucks or some coffee shop on your computer. So abstraction layer is very important as well. So it kind of rhymes right with biotech, but uh, it's not really an, an extension or an evolution. A lot of these are new tools for the first time. And again, just to hammer that home, it's really about reproducibility, trying to get the same results every time and engineering function that's predictable into a living technology. So there's a question without notice here, but um, I believe these days biotechnology has become a lot cheaper and things can actually be done in more of a backyards almost scenario in this space. Yeah, I mean, so I tried and fail with that, right? I tried to build a DIY biolab and we're getting closer to that. So with that community, right, they're kind of called biohackers. And so you can order things on eBay, you know, equipment for your lab. I have a PCR machine in my basement, for example. I have Bioreactor 2, for that matter. And then you have to try to get the reagents and the consumables to operate it. And you can find those, too, if you're a little creative. But, uh, yeah, we're not quite there yet. Still kind of a challenge, mostly uh, the economics. Still a little pricey to kind of do some of these things yourself. But overall, it's coming down in price, isn't it, overall? And um, a lot of developments yeah. can be implemented in very, very inexpensive ways comparatively. Yes, 100%. So there's actually some groups in California, actually, there's something called the Open Insulin Project. So they're trying to, they call it biohacking insulin uh, to try to maybe compete with like the Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly's of the world. So they can have an open source insulin product. Maybe they can earn approval one day, but make it much, much, much cheaper for patients to access. Uh, and that's totally within their own possibility. So you just need to have the right, you know, follow the right protocols and things. But yeah, costs are coming way down. I mean, best example might be like DNA sequencing, right? When we started that, you know, 20 something years ago, it cost billions of dollars to sequence a human genome. And we didn't even sequence most of the human genome, actually. It's kind of a misnomer. But now it costs, you know, under a thousand bucks. Pretty great. And DNA synthesis, which is one of the enabling tools of synthetic biology, is also having a pretty similar precipitous drop in cost. I think it's actually falling more quickly than DNA sequencing did. So the cheaper you can synthesize genes, the more genes you can synthesize, the more experiments you can do, the easier it is for people like me to order it to my house or something, right? And run my own experiments. So uh, I think one day we'll get to the point too, where like everything's on a chip, 
you know, think of like analogy to like computers back in the day. We big mainframe computers took up a whole room. And there's some really bad quotes that didn't age well about like, well, we'll never need more than one or three or 10 computers or whatever, right? In the whole world. And now, of course, we have like personal computers and I have multiple computers. I'm sure you do too. Um, and now today, this is kind of an analogous to where synthetic biology is, right? We have these big foundries, tons of lab space, and they take up tens of thousands of square feet. And you need a whole room to have a whole lab and all the capabilities. And, you know, one day we'll probably condense all this down to the size of certain chips, right? So you might have a handheld device that kind of is what today's big bio labs can do in like a whole room. And you might just have a, a handheld device that can do that, sequencing things, synthesizing things, you know, amplifying genes, whatever it might be. You just might have to add some enzymes in or something like that. So really exciting just time for where we are and the trajectory of all this. It's a bit like Bones in Star Trek, isn't it, with his little device, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So as investors, how should we be approaching this field? Yeah, so it's very exciting. And there's now more synthetic biology companies you can invest in, but it's still really, really, really early. So it's important to keep that in mind. I try to be as objective as possible, and I'm really excited for the future. And there's some really exciting things that are going to happen, and you know, going to blow a lot of people's minds. Really, I mean, we're talking about like you know, we can maybe take like water desalination, right? It's one of the most energy intensive processes humans have ever devised. But we can also borrow things that like fish do naturally, right? So like saltwater and freshwater fish have certain organs, you know, in their bodies for regulating the salt content in their blood. Well, we can maybe borrow some of that right? To have like a biological water desalination, pretty much at like room pressure, room temperature, like atmospheric pressure rather, yeah, pretty low cost as well. I mean, like that's pretty crazy, right? If we could do that. And that's something that synthetic biology could enable. Or the thing I was trying to do in my DIY bio lab was actually uh, grow metallic nanoparticles using bacteria. You know, like that could be a good application in electric vehicle batteries, for example, right? So like we can grow metals with biology, like that's kind of wild, right? We're not even thinking about that stuff right now. So the future is so great. But I guess my analogy here, though, would be like, you know, if in the 90s, in the late 90s, if you thought the information superhighway was going to revolutionize the economy and society, you would have been 100% correct. But at the same time, you might have invested in pets.com, right? And a lot of the greatest companies in tech weren't even around yet, right? Like Facebook hadn't really been founded. Google was founded in 1998. The iPhone didn't come out until like 2007. Amazon Web Services didn't launch its cloud division until like 2006. So in the late 90s, it was still really early, even though it was a lot of excitement. And you would have been right in the long run. It just took another couple of decades. I think we're in the same place with synthetic biology today. It's really exciting. It's going to change the world. It's going to restructure the economy 100%. I think you're going to be right. But also, there's a lot of pets.coms out there right now, so it's kind of tough to uh, wade through that. I think the most valuable synthetic biology companies in the world, like in our lifetime, probably haven't been founded yet. So that's kind of how I approach it right now. So how would you be approaching this sector then? I mean, is it something that you can invest in, or is it really just a blue sky investment at the moment, like you were referring to? Most of the companies have unproven business models, so it kind of takes a leap of faith. 
some don't have great operating metrics or most don't really. But there's one that I think makes a lot more sense. So the most attractive synthetic biology stock out there right now is Twist Bioscience. So Twist Bioscience is a DNA synthesis company. So it's kind of like the Illumina. Illumina was to DNA sequencing as Twist Bioscience is to DNA synthesis. And I think Illumina actually is a uh, somewhat large investor in Twist Bioscience. It's also like a picks and shovels play, right? So it makes its processes for manufacturing synthetic DNA, tries to get the cost down and so it can make more genes, better genes, faster turnaround times for its customers. And then it can go and be a really integral part of a lot of different industries. So for example, we hear a lot of like genetic testing, liquid biopsies maybe, right? Twist Biosciences synthetic DNA is actually a core part of all of those products. So it's an interesting way to maybe get exposure to genetic testing or liquid biopsy space, which is going to be very competitive without really exposing yourself to all that competition. Twist Bioscience is going to win no matter what. Also, really hard to explain this to beginners, I guess, so I won't go into too much detail, but it can be used in drug discovery and drug development. So things like monoclonal antibodies, the company's tools and certain products and services can be used to help companies that are developing monoclonal antibodies find even better drug candidates to then put into clinical trials. So maybe increasing their odds of success. This is, a again, getting into some of those crazy opportunities. Uh, it has a consortium that it's made to try to store digital data in DNA. So DNA is a great storage medium. We can store most of the world's information in DNA that wouldn't take up, you know, it would be less than, you know, the size of the room you're sitting in, the room I'm sitting right now. Are we talking about one single strand of DNA? Is that uh, what you're talking about? Not a strand of DNA, but the material you would need could store all of the world's photos and videos and like all of the digital information within a few boxes of DNA, basically. Wow. So it has a crazy storage capacity, right? You and I, I don't know what the genome is, but it's many, many terabytes worth of information. And it's really, really pretty small when you think about it, right? We can't see it, obviously, with our own eyes. So that's going to be a niche application. But again, so it's kind of taking a very methodical approach. You know, its largest segment that it's getting into is next generation sequencing. So like liquid biopsy tools and genetic testing. And that's great. It can scale there. It can probably scale there profitably in a few years. And then it's also working on these like futuristic things that are maybe more aligned with like blowing people's minds with what synthetic biology can do, like digital data storage and DNA. So uh, the valuations come down a lot and it made sense. It was very overvalued in 2021, but it's starting to look pretty attractive uh, around a $3 billion market valuation. So if you're a long-term investor, you know, you're thinking like three, five, 10 year timeframes, uh, I think Twist Bioscience is a pretty attractive investment way to uh, maybe cozy up into the synthetic biology space too, if you're interested in following it. What's the ticker code for uh, Twist? Twist Bioscience is on the NASDAQ and the ticker is TWST. Keep in mind, this is highly speculative. This is just for your watch list to study at the moment. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely not one for beginners, <laughs> but something that's really quite interesting and I'm finding fascinating talking to you about. Yeah, so they have a fiscal year that's a little bit offset from the calendar. So they're already in uh, fiscal 2022. And uh, you know they're making some really big investments in growth. And right now the market's been punishing cash-hungry companies, right? So the company has enough cash, but for reference, it's operating expenses this year in fiscal 2022 are going to be almost double what they were in fiscal 2020. So spending really heavily, but it is getting benefits from its scale, you know, improving margins and, and things like that. So that's what you want to see. And other companies in the space aren't getting that. They're making big investments, maybe revenue is growing, but their margins are getting worse, actually, as they're scaling. So Twist Bioscience is a 
bit more attractive from that perspective as well. And uh, that's the thing with this particular sector, isn't it? It's um, highly, highly speculative. It's not something that you can say, well, this company is generating revenue. It's going to make this amount of profit. This is something that's, you're really looking at blue sky, aren't you? Yeah, for the most part. And um, so again, it's like, you know, synthetic biology isn't really an industry. It's kind of more of like a way of thinking, right? Applying engineering principles. So there's different kinds of business models sprinkled throughout the industry, right? Some are just R&D services for other companies. Some are trying to make their own chemicals through industrial biotechnology uh, and then trying to sell their own products as well. So there's a lot of different business models. If you look across the landscape of the broad umbrella that we call synthetic biology, but a lot of those business models are newer and they're trying to borrow a little bit from drug development and a little bit from, you know, uh, R&D service providers and they're kind of cobbling it all together. And it's easy to be a little skeptical on some of the claims that companies have made of not panned out so well. Many are missing guidance by very large margins. And then they're saying, you know, well, in 2025, we're going to have, you know, five times this many projects. And so I think you should be a little cautious and skeptical right now until they prove it. Make them earn it, you know? <laughs> so just out of interest, is this sector actually classified as a sector yet or is it a subset of uh, another sector? I actually don't know. Dr. Rob Carlson's trying to track all this and he's running the same problem because you can't track it if you can't measure it and we don't really label things very well. So it's all over the place. Some of these are technically organized. Like if you go to the SEC, organizes like organic chemicals and some are like industrial materials. It's just all over the place. So no, we don't track anything well. So it's really hard to keep track of, but uh, maybe one day we'll get there where it's a nice clean label, but no, not right now. Blue sky mining at the moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> Max, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me. It's great. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 